again today. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, um, thank you for joining us. If you're joining us and you've been joining us every single time for the last, oh Lord, we're getting close to 21 months now doing this. So if you've been here every Sunday for the last 21 months, it's good to see you. Uh, we always kind of welcome those who are new, but we sometimes forget that it's a lot of you that have been on here every Sunday for 21 months looking at this picture. At least we're trying to give you a little different look today with the, uh, you can look at the the trees. The, the wind blew this week and knocked all the pretty tree, flower, uh, leaves off my trees. So I've got no, just barren woods behind me. Um, but um, anyway, so if you get bored listening to me, maybe you can look at the trees behind me. Every once in a while, maybe a deer. As long as it's not a neighbor. The deer is one thing, but hopefully one of my neighbors doesn't just walk by and wave. If we do, we'll just stop for a moment and pray for him, I guess. Uh, but anyways, um, I want to take you this morning, if I can, let me get my Bible up here. And uh, I want to take you this morning to the Gospel of John. If you've known me at all, if you've heard me minister uh, at all in the last couple of years, um, even pre-COVID, you will know that the Gospel of John is probably one of my most favorite books of the Bible. I think I have read John and spent more time in John the last five years than any, uh, than probably every other book combined, it feels like. And maybe that's an exaggeration, but it feels that way. I just feel like the Gospel of John gives us the clearest picture of who Jesus was and gives us the clearest picture of what Jesus really was about. Um, there's so much depth in John uh, there's so many stories in John that really resonate. I mean, John is the one who recorded the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Um, he gives us the woman at the well. Uh, he gives us some of the most iconic moments in Jesus' life that aren't recorded in the other Gospels. But John gives us these, um, these snippets here. And so um, John is a phenomenal book. If, if, you, if you're starting a Bible program a Bible reading program next year, and we always seem to start at Genesis, maybe start with John. Uh, just switch it up a little bit. Maybe start with John and just read through John. You could spend all year, I don't know why I'm saying this, just forgive me for a second, but I feel like I'm, I'm uh, giving an infomercial for the book of John. But no, you could, start, you could start John, you could read John every, you could read John all year. You could read it in change the translations up, and you probably would not even come close to scratching the surface of the depth of the book of John. But John starts off his gospel in a very unique way. The other gospels sort of start off introducing the, uh, the sort of the genealogy of Christ, right? We have Matthew and Luke both giving us this sort of the birth of Jesus. Mark starts his gospel off with the, with the sort of immediate uh, impact of Jesus um, and the baptism of Christ and sort of this launching into the ministry. But John gives us a completely different beginning, and John starts off with this beautifully written and sort of powerful statement in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, in the beginning of God, all things were made through Him. Without Him was made, nothing was made that was made in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. These are 
great words, these depth words. And so John starts off sort of with this sort of just explosion of power, if you want to call it that way. And then he kind of gets into the, 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 the idea of John uh, the Baptist being the witness um, of Jesus and, um, um, and kind of paving the way for Jesus. And then um, he makes a statement. Then verse 14, he goes, uh, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And sort of that's, that's, that's John's description of the birth of Jesus Christ. He doesn't give us this wonderful Christmas message that we're so used to with the wise men and the shepherds and the manger and the swaddling clothes and the stable and the animals. John just gets to the point. He says, here's, here's what happened. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There it is. You want a nativity scene? John gives you this beautiful nativity scene, and he kind of gets back into uh, the story of John the Baptist and being the voice of crying in the wilderness and uh, prepare ye the way and all these things. And they're asking, are you the Messiah? And John says, no, I'm not. But the one that's coming after me, I can't, even, I can't even tie his shoelaces. And then we get to this sort of iconic, the other gospels, some of the other gospels mention this, but this sort of iconic moment, right? That Jesus uh, arrives on the scene and goes to be baptized. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This sort of beautiful, again, this powerful declaration he's declared that god is from the beginning he was in the beginning was the word the words with god then this word became flesh and then boom here we go this flesh came to earth and announced itself by saying hey this guy who prepared the way said oh by the way this flesh behold the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world so john is sort of laying this out but notice this up to this point we have 34 verses in the first chapter of John and not one time have we have we heard the words of Jesus now John's giving us this description John's giving us the lay of the land John's building sort of this powerful foundation for the identity of Jesus Christ he's telling us that Jesus is the word made flesh he's telling us that Jesus was God that the word that the, he's giving us this powerful opening statement and he hasn't said one thing recorded that Jesus had said up to verse 34 but he's given us a tremendous foundation so if that's really the case and that's what John is doing to me the first words that John gives us that come from Jesus have got to be as significant as the other opening words he's already given us. You don't start your account. Now again, we know the Bible is divinely inspired. I'm not saying that John wrote this out of his intellect. He obviously wrote it under the uh, anointing of the Holy Ghost, right? The Bible talks about the that the Bible is God-breathed. So it's the anointing, it's the power of God flowing through a man as he writes this. But he is still giving us his perspective how he saw it that's why we see each gospel a little differently it's four gospels but all of them have a little different angle why because these were written by men who were speaking to a specific audience from a specific uh perspective and so john again this is john's perspective so john is at the end of all this and i'm saying all this because i want to get to the point you're going to miss the significance of this wording if you don't understand the context of it so i'm not rambling on so follow me for a moment 
John is not writing his gospel as a young man. He's not writing his gospel as a novice. He's not writing his gospel as somebody who's just trying to figure all of this out and is trying to put the pieces of life together and he's trying to sort all this out. And, you know, he's still dealing with the emotion of the death of Jesus Christ and, and the resurrection and all that. And he's still wrestling with all that. And he's trying to come to meaning of what that means and how that all translates. This is not why where he's writing this from. If you do any kind of research and you look at any kind of biblical uh, scholarship, you will find that the Gospel of John is written many, many years later. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, and I feel like it's of a significant context because, again, we think of the Gospels, and when we think of the Gospels, we think of it sort of as an autobiography of uh, uh, sort of, or, or maybe a biography of Jesus Christ, right? It's the biography of the life of Christ, right? So, we think of the Gospels as a biography, and therefore, if we were writing a biography, we would be very precise on the dates and the times, and we're trying to tell a story of your life or my life. If I was writing about myself, the autobiography, I would try to make sure that the chronological order of my life would be important. And so when we read this from a 21st century perspective, we're looking at the Gospels uh, from a biography standpoint, and we're, we're trying to understand, okay, what is he telling us about the life of Christ? But if we do that, we are missing a greater point. These are not supposed to be biographical accounts of Jesus Christ. That's why if you look at all the Gospels, you will find that some Gospels have uh, different orders of events. They have different orders of miracles. And you go, well, there's a contradiction. Well, they weren't worried about the order because to them, they weren't trying to give you a biographical account and a chronological breakdown of the ministry of Jesus Christ. They were trying to speak to a specific message to a specific group when they were writing this gospel. So again, I said all that because John is writing his gospel later on in life. By the time John sits down and begins to uh, put uh, ink to parchment, sitting in a room somewhere, whether it was on the Isle of Patmos when he was in sort of uh, exile, which some believe this is when he wrote that, sometime around the line, time he wrote, the book of Revelation, or maybe he did it at another place. But by the time he put ink to parchment and began to write out these words, John is an older man now. He's not a kid. This gospel was written somewhere around 70 to 80 years, maybe somewhere. Let's just use 70 because it's probably a cleaner number. Some 70 years roughly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that have transpired in that 70 years. We went from a ragtag group of rejects and, and country boys who were fishermen and tax collectors and some cast-offs of society. They hang out with this rabbi for three years and all of a sudden the rabbi dies and resurrected, sends these guys and some others to this room. They pray and the power of God falls on this room. And from that moment, that, that epicenter of, of, of spiritual explosion, there is this, um, this powerful message of the life and death of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins that spread throughout the world. So by the time we get to when John writes this gospel, we are writing it from a perspective of not a grassroots, small, little group of people. But now John is writing to a church that is robust. 
He's writing to a group of people now that span all of the known world. The gospel had spread that far. There was so many powerful things that had happened. It had reached all the way to the house of Rome, of Caesar in Rome. So this is, again, this is not a novice. This is not, a, this is not an opening uh, statement to something where he's trying to give you. John is coming later on in life, and he's going to try to give powerful addition to the substance of what all of this has happened in the last 70 years. Again, you got to realize new people are coming to the faith at all times. So when they're coming to the faith, they didn't all have access to the Bible. They didn't have all access. So if you know anything about the Bible at all, you know that there are things we call epistles. They were written mostly by Paul, several written by, by another um, disciple named Peter. Uh, some were written by James, others sprinkled in there a little bit. But these were letters because these letters would be sent to these churches and they would read them and they would, they would, they would pray over them because they didn't have access to the Bible. My goodness, right now on my phone, uh, right now and and or here on my my on my computer, I mean we've got uh, translations. I mean I think I think the uh, the uh, uh, Bible here, if I look it up correctly, I think I forgot I saw the number the other day and it was staggering to me. Let's see if it tells me at the top here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As of right now on this app, there are 2,623 versions of the Bible in 1,780 languages. That's awesome. I mean, it's staggering. It's sobering because we can't be, we're, we're, we have more access to the Bible than ever before, but we're more biblically illiterate than we've ever been as a society well, there's 2,600 translations right here at my fingertips. They didn't have that. So again, John is trying to speak to something at a greater level. So I said all that, and I'm putting all that in context, that we're not just coming. These aren't just opening words. You know, every great novel opens up with some kind of great, with some kind of wording. These aren't some, these aren't some opening words that John is trying to use to build suspense or to build something kind of theater, theatrical opening. These are words where John is speaking with power. And that's why he starts off with, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He just starts off with like, I mean, come on. It's like walking into a, into a, a fight and you just, you're not standing there waiting to get, you just walk up straight. And the first thing you do is you throw an uppercut. I mean, the first one, boom, uppercut. Let's just go straight for the knockout. John's like, let's just cut to the chase. I'm not going to give you some kind of flowery message that there was a little, there was a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. I'm just going to go straight to the pub. Listen, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's just get that out of the way. Boom. But up to that point, we have no words of Jesus. Nothing is said yet what Jesus has said. And we know the power of the words of Jesus Christ. So we get down to verse 34 and he sort of has laid this powerful opening foundation, right? All the way to the point where John declares. So we have, we have the spiritual revelation that Jesus was the word made flesh. Then we have the, the, the manifestation of that revelation on earth when John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way, he declares, okay, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then we get to this moment. Verse 35, it says, Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, he walked. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, he declares again, Behold the Lamb. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now watch this. Here we go. Ready? Here it is. Drum roll. 
I could get a drum roll. I don't know if you can hear that or not. This is the drum roll. What is John going to give us as the opening words of Jesus? What could it be? I mean, what would Jesus, what would you choose? We know this wasn't the first words that Jesus spoke. These weren't the first words he spoke. Other gospels record other things Jesus said. What would be the first words that John chooses? And John says in verse 38, Then Jesus turned, seeing them followed, said to them, and here are the first words that John records of Jesus. What do you seek? Now those four words don't seem of great significance by themselves. Seems like a very uh, sort of uh, subtle question, maybe even a sort of sort of nonchalant. What are you looking for? But when you look at the context and the power and the opening thrust of this magnitude that John gives us of all that Jesus is and who he is and the power of God robed in flesh and dwelling among us. Don't forget, it's John who gives us the powerful words. If God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's God, God, John 3.16. I mean, my goodness, you don't even have to go to church to know John 3.16. We, got, we have these powerful words John gives us. John's, John's message is wonderful. I mean, John is the one that said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples because you have loved one for another. That's John saying all this. But he gives us the first words of Jesus. And the first words he records of Jesus are four words that just cut through everything and get to the very heart of the matter in all of us today. And that is, what do you seek? And the question to me, which is interesting, and maybe I'm the only one here, but I'm curious because it's interesting. He didn't say, who do you seek? Because notice that the beginning of that, it says the two disciples, he heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing him and said, what do you seek? Notice this. He didn't say, who do you seek? He knew they were coming for him. He knew that they were looking for him. That wasn't the problem he wanted. He didn't want the answer of who do you seek? Well, we seek you, Jesus. Well, here I am, fellas. Hey, what's up? Here I am. Let's go. Come on. He didn't say that. That wasn't, don't, now sometimes I read things and we, 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 we sort of infer the meaning because we're not looking at the text in the context of it. We were kind of looking at the text in sort of the way we would put ourselves into the story. And so we say, what do you seek? And it's like, well, I seek you. I mean, if I ask you, if I ask you today, what do you seek? You say, I seek Jesus. That wasn't the question. The question wasn't, who do you seek? The question is, what do you seek? You say, well, that's kind of semantics, right? That's, that's, sort, of, that's sort of semantics, right? You're, you're, you're really making a big deal out of nothing. Am I really? So I guess Jesus, you know, he, it really didn't matter the words. I mean, come on. The Bible says if all the things that, were, that Jesus said and did were recorded, even the worlds couldn't contain it. Meaning that you couldn't build a, a library big enough to contain all the words of Jesus Christ. 
So, I don't know. If that's the case, then I feel like every word in here that Jesus speaks has great significance because there was a lot of words that were left out. Why were these words chosen? Well, because, you know, it was just happenstance. It was just what, it was just the way it was. I, maybe you think that way, but if we're going to go down that road, we need to just throw this entire book out and just say it's all happenstance. Let's just make up our own story. So my point to you in all this, the reason I'm bringing this up is because if I'm going to choose four words to open up, I'm not just going to just make something up. Well, 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 what do you seek? But I really don't mean that. I mean, like, who do you seek? What do you do? What do you want? What do you want? You know, yeah. Because you see, if we look at it that way, it takes the spotlight off me. If I can sort of massage it and, and, and manipulate the wording, I don't have to answer that question for myself because I can look at that and go, well, you know, okay, there were two guys and they were following Jesus and he turned around and said, what do you seek? Really wondering, Who do you seek? And they said, you know, we want to follow you, Jesus. He said, come on, let's go. And then therefore, I, I, that's, what, that's me, right? I'm looking for you, Jesus. And I can tell Jesus all day, I'm here, Lord, to follow you. I'm here, Lord, to follow you. But that's not the question he asked. He didn't ask, do you want to follow me? And you know what's funny? The other gospels, he asked that question. He said, follow me. That's what he told Peter and Andrew. He actually told John, this, this guy right here, John and his brother, right? Who had a dad named Zebedee in Mark chapter one, he walks up to them. They're on, they're, they're on the shore. They're about to go out. Either they came back or they're about to go out launching in their boat. Their dad's on the boat with the, with the workers. And Jesus walks up to these boys and he says to them, follow me. So John is not, he's not a novice here. He's not trying to create a, 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 a Shakespearean moment here. Why did John choose these four words as his opening words to the entirety of this powerful gospel that he has where there's so much depth and so many powerful messages? And we go from John chapter 3 where Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man are born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those are powerful words. And he looks at the woman of the well. This is also John. He looks at the woman of the well and says, if you drink from this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water I, I give you, you will never thirst again. In John chapter 7, he says, come unto me, all that you are, that there are hunger and thirst. And, and, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spake of the Holy Ghost, which had not come yet because Christ had not been glorified. These are powerful, powerful, powerful words. It was John where he looked at the woman in adultery, caught in adultery. And he says, if you are without sin, cast a first stone. And he looked up and they were gone and said, woman, where are their accusers? Go and sin no more. John is not somebody who, who, who gives you cheap words. John's not trying to come up with tweetable words. He's not trying to come up with fancy Facebook posts so you can put it in there and get your likes and get your and hashtag comment on this. John's trying to get something here. He's saying, listen, if you want to know what's really going on, there's this opening moment here. Let me just get it out and tell you. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then the guy that was supposed to be the one to let everybody know that this was one, he was the one that declared multiple times, behold, the Lamb of God. So pay attention, folks. Hey, kids, gather around. This is important. Pay attention. 
Because I've identified to you the importance of this guy. I've identified to you the significance of him. And now let me tell you what he said. The first words that Jesus said that I'm going to tell you is, what do you seek? You see, the question I have to you today that I did not come on here to ask. Only my wife could verify this. This is the truth before God. I didn't have this. And I have to be frank with you, and I'm going to be very transparent with you for a moment. Not that I'm never transparent, but I'm going to be very transparent, probably too transparent. Sometimes this is a struggle. Pull up a chair. Let's talk for a second. How are you doing today? This is a struggle sometimes because, frankly, I've been doing this now for 21 months, staring at myself. In case you can't, I wish I could show you. In fact, can I get a reflection? I might be able to get a reflection. Oh. Oh, almost. Whoa, where am I at? Oh, there I There you go. See, that's what I have to look at the entire time. See the reflection of me. So I've been preaching to myself for 21 months. I said that because not seeing, I don't even, I have no, I have no Facebook, YouTube up on this screen. I just have this program we use to make sure that the broadcast is working and half the time. Lately, we've dealt with bizarre technical issues. And so I have to be frank with you. There's been a lot of frustration. I get on here every Sunday and I, I, I know a lot of you are tired of watching me. Trust me, I watch myself every morning, a Sunday morning, and I get tired of watching me. And there's a, there's a struggle sometimes, there's a battle. This morning was one of those ones. Can I be honest with you? I've been doing this now for a long time. I know the Sunday after Thanksgiving, everybody's sort of in carb hangover. Maybe you had some pumpkin pie this morning for dessert, for breakfast, because you just love leftovers. And come on here this morning. There's not one single word that I could tell you or say to you that can make any significant difference if it was just me talking. But as I turned on this program and I had a little issue this morning with the mouse, the battery was kind of going crazy and we're having some issues a little bit with our program here. So I was trying to work through that and Adam, our tech guy, was helping me and get it going and while I was sitting here that question came to me and I, and I probably shouldn't say this either I didn't remember where that was I remember the question asked but I couldn't remember where that was because later on I believe it's in John oh lord I think it's in John chapter 18 if I'm correct on this John chapter 18 when they came when they when they came looking for Jesus in the garden and they show up I believe he asked them who do you seek or whom do you seek something along that line somewhere in John 18 like beginning of John 18 and Judas shows up he asked that question so this morning I was sitting here and the question came who do you seek 
And I remember that, and I thought that was the one. And I had completely forgotten the opening words of John in John chapter 1, that he asked the question, who do you seek? I mean, what do you seek? I'm sorry. Because later on, they ask, I believe in John 18. I'm going to look that up one second for a second. Feel free to talk among yourselves for a second. I believe it's, yes, I was right. He asked in John 18, whom do you seek? Right? Whom are you seeking? But in John chapter 1, he doesn't ask whom are you seeking. He asks, what are you seeking? So I said all that because it's November 28th. It's the beginning of the holiday season. It's the hangover of Thanksgiving. Your flesh doesn't want to be on here today. Your flesh doesn't want to watch this. I got to be frank with you. My flesh doesn't want to be doing this. But the question Jesus wants to ask us today in the midst of this, and why ask now? Because this is the best time to ask it. Because this is one of those Sundays that if you're not careful, this is a Sunday of obligation, right? There's a lot of Sundays that are just autopilot Sundays, right? Let's, what Sunday? All right, well, I used to go to church, but we don't have that anymore. So I'll just, okay, hold on a second. Let me see. I'll just turn on, I'll turn on that. I'll turn on Pastor Joel for a few minutes and at least see what he has to say and see if there's anything he has to say worth watching. Uh, I don't know. All right. Look, I'll turn it on, set it down, I'll go, you know, let me make breakfast or let me clean up the house or I got some errands to run. I'll just leave it on because, you know, I, I know I need to, I got to do this sort of, you know, my duty, my obligation. But, you know, I'm not knocking that. I'm not beating you up for that today. I'm not asking this question. I'm asking the question that Jesus asked those two fellas. What do you seek? I'm not asking who do you seek because if I ask you that question, your answer would be, I seek Jesus. I seek him. I want Jesus. That's not the question. He asked later, whom do you seek? But that's not what he asked in the beginning of John. He asked, what do you seek? So my question is, what do you seek? What are you seeking for today? Let me ask you this. If somehow, some way, right now, I could snap my fingers, I'll even sprinkle in a, in, I'll even sprinkle in a spiritual word in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If I could do that somehow, some way, and give you everything your heart desires, meaning, uh, you know. You're, you're, you would have no more pain. You would have no more discomfort. You know, you know, whatever relationships you have right now that are all, all their life would be together. I mean, you would have plenty of trees under the Christmas presents under the tree. You'd have money to be able, you know, not living anymore from paycheck to paycheck and your car wouldn't break down anymore. You'd finally be in a house. You don't need a mansion, but you know, you'd get that house that at least be what you want and all this stuff. So if somehow, some way, I, I could snap my fingers and say in Jesus' name, and all that would take place, and you could finally reach the pinnacle of all of that, is that really? 
how can I say this? I'm trying to say it where it doesn't sound like I'm being judgmental. I'm trying to get you to think. Is that really why the word became flesh and dwelt among us? Let's read it. You know it by heart, but let's read it. Ready? Quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Do we believe? And do you think and if this is your first time watching today and you have no clue, I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm trying to get you to think because you're coming on here today. Why are you coming on here today? What are you seeking for? Are you seeking for Jesus so that he can make your life less problem-filled, less difficult, and you know, get rid of your financial problems and, 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 and change your husband or change your wife or change your kids or change your parents or change your job or change your 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 uh, your situation. That's why you're here today. If that's the case, God was so full of love that He sent His only Son into this world so that you and I could have perfect lives. That's why. Is that why? Is that really why? My wife and I went out for a few minutes on Black Friday. We had to run to a store. It wasn't for Black Friday shopping. It was for something else. And we were in the store. And to say it was nutty would have been an understatement. We needed something particularly. This store had it. If it wasn't for this particular thing we needed we wouldn't have been ventured out and they're sitting here and I'm watching people my wife was making a statement later on we were talking and she was making a statement and and I, I I was sort of I was trying we had something to take back so we bought the wrong one we were trying to find something else so I was in line trying to take it back and she was looking for that other item and she, she was going around and she was talking about how just crazy it was I mean people and their carts and everywhere and and, and what's amazing We walked out of that store. We got what we had, what we needed. We brought it home. It worked. But you know what? Does that really what defines life? Is that one more thing really what's necessary for me to be happy? I'm not saying I'm not saying any of this to be to, to beat anyone up. I'm, I'm trying to get us to realize something that we're falling we're falling victim. To the lie we've been told. You're falling victim to the lie you've been told. You, you've bought the lie. The, you've bought the social media lie. You've bought the lie of this world. You've bought the lie that says this is what will change you. This is what will make you happy. But can I be honest with you? Jesus had the answer when he looked at him and said, what do you seek? Because I got to be honest with you today. I believe the Lord's asking some of you that today. What are you seeking me for? Do you seek me because you want me to make your life better? Do you seek me because you know if you ask me, I'm going to do this and I'll make you happy and I'll make you healthy and I'll make you whole and I'm going to bless you? Is that why you seek me? 
Because I love the rest of this here. Let's read the rest of it here. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking unto Jesus, he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and he seeing them follow, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Notice what was awesome about that. They had such a beautiful response to that question. Because let's be frank. I don't know if I would have answered that question as well as they did. Because if I would have, Jesus would have said to me, Joel, what are you seeking? My answer may have said, I'm seeking peace. I'm seeking hope. I'm seeking healing. I'm seeking wisdom. I'm seeking knowledge. I want you to show me, teach me. I'm seeking these things. They're all noble. They sound wonderful. They sound beautiful. Oh, I'm seeking this and I'm seeking that. I, I you know, I want to, I want to, I want to know your word. I want to seek to, I want to seek to understand peace. I want to seek to understand grace. They're wonderful things. That's be, I'm not knocking any of that, but that wasn't the response that those two fellows gave Jesus. He said, what do you seek? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them a response. Come and see. They came and saw and they remained with him that day. What a beautiful message that is. I know you're like, you're making a big deal out of nothing. I don't believe I'm making a big deal out of nothing because their response wasn't asking him to do anything. Their response was basically, where are you abiding? Because that's where I want to go. Where are you living? Where are you staying? Because we know later on, Jesus said to the, uh, to that one fellow that said, Hey, I want to follow you. He said, birds have a nest, you know, Foxes have holes, birds have nests. The Son of Man doesn't even have some time to lay his head. So I don't believe he took them to a palatial house and said, Hey, fellas, look, you know, this is my bedroom. This is my castle. This is my casa. You know, this is the living room. It's like cribs, right? That show where they used to, celebrities used to tell you around their house. I don't think Jesus was giving him the tour of cribs, right? Well, this is my bedroom. This is my, this is my hangout place. This is where I do my praying, you know. This is where I make my videos. He just said, come and see. Because he knew the response for them. He could see already, I believe. He already knew what they were looking for. They weren't looking for a what. They were just looking for him. Because you notice, their response to the what question wasn't what. Their response to the what question was you. They weren't seeking a what. They were seeking a you. A who? A you. That's the problem. We've turned a who question into a what question. That's, uh, that's part of it here today. Let's go back to a second. I'm almost done, I think. If you're seeking a what today... Who wants to come sit here 
at your home on your device, or maybe you put me up on your screen or computer. Who wants to sit here and listen to a guy sitting at his kitchen table with, of course, the sun this morning just crushing me here and look like my head is glowing? Who wants to do that? If you're seeking a what, I want to go somewhere. I want to be, I want to, I want to go somewhere that's going to give me the better what. You know what, today, I don't mean to be negative, and I'm not saying this as a cop-out. I got nothing to give you. I don't have anything. I don't have any, I don't, I don't. Here, hold on a second. I'll give you a fancy graphic. You ready? Here we go. There you go. That's about as good as I got right there. I even gave you a little fade in. Look at that. Ooh. I'm going to fade it back in. Ooh. That's about as good as it gets right there. YouTube and Facebook keeps kicking us off. We can't even play good music anymore. I'm playing this like elevator music because that's the only thing that would let me use. So I, got even, I can't even give you music to listen to anymore. I, I have to be honest with you. My, my humanity struggles with that. I, I got to be frank with you. I struggle with that because I got to sit here every Sunday. I mean, that's about as fancy as it gets right there. My trees behind my house. But you know what the best part about this is, I will say, and I don't always see it. The Lord has to remind me of this. I feel like Peter and my little fellow John here. They walk by this guy who sat there at this gate every day and said, hey, alms, alms, alms. You know what? They could have said, hey, there's a guy at the gate. If you go read it, it's in Acts chapter 3, in case you don't know the story. So there's this guy, a crippled guy, sits at the gate every day, right? He's asking alms, 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 alms. That's what they did, right? So Peter and John probably went the first time they saw him, but this time they walked by him. If this was you and I today, here's how it probably would have gone down. I'm not knocking this, but this is how I'm going to listen. There's this guy. Look, he's hurting. So hey, let's 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 take him some clothes, and maybe we should take him some shoes, and maybe we should. Hey, I got this. Let's take him a Thanksgiving Day dinner. We'll go out there. We'll sit with him. We'll eat with him. Or maybe we'll even invite him over to our house and he can... I'm not saying any of that's wrong. Oh, you're saying we shouldn't give to the poor? We shouldn't help those in need? Didn't say that. But let's be frank. That's not all they need. Because John's response... Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. I hate to break it to the UN and Elon Musk. But you cannot... Buy your way out of poverty or hunger. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Not trying to knock it. This is going to be a pretty uh, uh, um, wrong. I don't really make, I'm not, I'm not, I'm very careful not to make political statements uh, in public, but I'll make this. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. So all of you that like socialism and communism, you got a problem because Jesus didn't make a very social, uh, a socialistic phrase. 
because socialism wants to get rid of the poor. Uh, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. I know 15 people just clicked off and 12 people just tweeted. Wrong. Well, there's a thing called the Bible. You might want to read it every once in a while. It's a pretty good book. But John and Peter said to this guy a beautiful response. They go, silver and gold have we none. Now, let's be frank. I don't believe they meant that. I don't believe Peter and John were broke. I don't believe they said, well, we got nothing. Because let's be frank. They had to have something. They had to have money. Now, they maybe not had it on them. I never carry cash. I, I, I don't carry cash anymore. I don't remember the last time I've carried cash. That's the truth before God. Are you saying you've adapted a non-cashless lifestyle? Do you know that's accepting the mark of the beast? Well, you know what? i got to be honest with you. It's phenomenal. Because either cash, I lose it, or whatever. So forgive me if that offends you and you've, I've taken over. I don't carry cash. I just, I don't. So I feel bad sometimes because I see somebody in need and I'd give them money, but I don't have it. So my wife, being a lot better person than I am, she always makes sure there's cash somewhere nearby. Because, you know, nowadays it's sad. There's a lot of hurting people out there and always try to have something. I, I was going, um, I had a very convicting uh, moment <clears throat> several years ago. <clears throat> Almost done, excuse me. <clears throat> I went with a friend of mine, um, really good man. He's, he's a Catholic man, very, very sincere man. And he wanted, he said, hey, I want to take you down to Baltimore with me to the cathedral. I want you to meet the, the, the head priest. And so I, you know, love to go. So I went down and we were driving Baltimore and I noticed, I didn't pay attention at first, but I noticed in his cup holder, he had a, a, a wad of ones. Now, again, we don't come from the same belief background, but we started going down Baltimore. If you've ever been to Baltimore, you know what it's like. And the first light we went to, sure enough, there's a guy standing on the corner and my friend, Reaches down and grabs a dollar and gives it to the, out the window. Went to the next light, same thing. We did that three or four times. And he said, he said, I know giving these guys a dollar or giving them, they're probably going to go waste it on alcohol or whatever. He said, but I never know which one of these is going to be Jesus in disguise testing me. So he said, I want to make sure I give them all. And literally, every time we stopped, he gave a dollar. I was like, dear Lord, I had to go home and repent. But I don't believe Peter and John had no money. They said to this guy, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, give to you. I don't have silver and gold today. I don't even have fancy title or words or illustrations or graphics or music. I simply have Jesus. And I know when I say that, most of you already go, well, I already have him. But the question today is not do you have him. The question today is what do you seek him for? Because let's be honest, 
I know a lot of you that are watching today, and I know I don't know a lot of you that are watching today, but I do know humanity. I've watched it. I've studied it. I've been a part of ministering to humans for a long time now. I know one thing. When everything in our life is going okay, we don't really need God that much. When was the last time you fervently sought the Lord? Like sought God with everything in you when nothing in your life was going wrong? When everything in your life was 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 not that your life was perfect, but everything in your life, you were at that point where you had very little need. When was the time you sought God with the with fervency during that period? But usually it's when you're sick. It's usually when you don't know what to do. You turn to Him. Now, God is loving and kind and merciful, and a lot of times He'll lead us into places because that's one way He knows He'll get our attention. But after a while. After a while, that gets kind of old. No, none of you, none of none of you today that are married would want to be married to the person that basically said, I'm here only for what I get out of it. But I don't really want anything other than what you can give me. And when you stop giving it to me, I'm I'm done. Every one of you'd be like, you know what? I don't want it. If that's the case, see you. Don't let the don't let the door hit you on the way out. Because ultimately, I want you just to want me, love me, just because it's me. Love me as much on my bad days as you love me on my good days. If you came and looked at my wife and I's marriage and you watched us during the week, sometimes you'd scratch your head. We're very passionate people, if you know anything about us. Passion is great in one side. Passion can be challenged on the other side. But you know what? We don't love each other on the days we get along we want to love each other as much on the days we don't get along. We don't want to love each other when we see everything eye to eye. We want to love each other as much when we don't see everything eye to eye. The point I'm trying to make in all that is not to get into a, some marriage seminar. The point I'm trying to make is this, simply this. What are you seeking for today? Are you going to be on here today? And it's almost you're like, okay, it's 11. You're, you got to be close to being done here. I'm, I've, I've, I've listened to you long enough to fulfill my obligation. Now I can finally turn off and go do something else. But Jesus wanted me to ask you, and I don't want to oversell it because I don't want to make it into something that's going to let you off the hook. Oh, well, I already know that. Oh, I don't say it. No, no, no. It's just a blanket statement. What do you seek? Not who do you seek. What do you seek? Jesus turned to them and said, hey, everybody's leaving. Are you going to leave? Are you leaving too? And they looked at him and said, leave? Where are we going to go? Only you hold the words of eternal life. We can't go seeking for another what. We can't go seeking for another who. There is no other what. There's no other who. What do you seek today? 
Your response to that question will determine your heart. And I got to be honest with you, your first response probably is not going to be your heart response. It's going to be your intellect. But if you would take a moment, not now, but if you would really take a moment and, and, and close your eyes when this is all done, some of you will do this, others will, you will not, but that's okay. For those of you that would sincerely do this, if you could take a moment and close your eyes after this is all done and sincerely say, God, I don't know my own heart. Your word said the heart is desperately wicked. Nobody knows his own heart. So Lord, I don't know my own heart. I don't even know my own motives half the time. So Father, I want to seek you. I want to seek you for who you are. I want to know you and seek you. I want the what in my life to be you. I know the who is already you, but I want the what to be you as well. Notice, you can have the who as Jesus and the what as something else, and eventually the what will dominate the who. Say that five times. We'll say it one more time. You can have the who. Who do you seek? Jesus. What do you seek? Something else. The problem is your what will dominate your who. Because your who comes from sort of a want, but your what is more of the need. What do you need? What do you seek? What? What? Because today, I could ask you in a few minutes, what are you hungry? What do you want for food? What are you hungry for? You're hungry. We've established that. But let's be frank. You're not just hungry. Because right now, if I said, well, you're hungry? All right, let me see. Uh, let me put some... I'm trying to think of a, of, of a food that... Um, I don't know. Every Someone always likes something bizarre. For me, Scrapple, please. I know some of you are like, oh, it's heavenly. You can take your heavenly manna somewhere else. But if you said, Joel, Joel, I said to you, I'm hungry. I got Scrapple. I'd say, you know what? I'm Okay. The Lord just called me to fast today. I'm good. I'm all right. I'm not, I don't know if I've ever been hungry enough to eat Scrapple. I'm sure I would be, but I, I, I don't know if I've ever reached that. Now, some of you, you'd be like, oh, Scrapple every morning, Scrapple every day, Scrapple all day long. You Scrapple your way with Jesus. I'm going to stop with Scrapple. So you said, are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. What are you hungry for? I got Scrapple. I'm hungry for that. Jesus is saying, I got you seeking me, but what are you seeking? Why? Well, I'll give you me. Oh, Lord, I don't really want that. That's, uh, I'm seeking you, but I really don't want that. Could you give me something else? Could you give me peace? Could you give me joy? Could you fix this problem? Could you change this? Can you help me here? Can you pay this bill? Can you give me a better job? Can you give me a better car? Give me a better wife. Give me a better husband. Give me better kids. Give me a better parent. Give me a better this, better that. Do that, better, better. Lord, I'm hungry, but I'm, 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 I'm really kind of, I'm hungry for this. That's the point we're making today. That's the point God's trying to say is you say you're hungry, but when it's given to you, you say, well, I don't want that. God, I'm seeking you. And he's like, here I am. Okay. I, I got it. But you know, I, you're great and all, but really, I need something else. I never say that. You don't have to. You don't.
but actions speak louder than words. So before you dismiss this today and go, well, I've got that check off. I'm not asking you, are you hungry? I'm asking you, what are you hungry for? Because hungry, if you get to the point, yeah, you're right. I could get to the point where I was hungry enough I'd eat Scrapple, no doubt. I'm sure I could get hungry enough where I could eat Scrapple, no doubt. And it probably would taste like heaven. The problem is we, we want the who of Jesus, but we're so filled up on so much other stuff in this life that Jesus has to make everything extra good for us to even buy it. I mean, if you notice today, everything in this world has sugar in it. Why? Because we have so much sugar in our diet that if you taste something without sugar, it's like, ugh, this is nasty. So they put sugar in everything. If Jesus doesn't put sugar in a message, sugar in a song, sugar in a worship gathering, sugar in a small group, sugar in this, sugar in that. If we can't have a little sugar, I don't want it today because it doesn't taste very good, Lord. I need some sugar. I want you, but you don't taste good by yourself. So put some sugar on this thing today so I can taste it. Father, Only you know that what I've said today only came from you. Because everything that's said here, not one of those things that had come from me. Because I didn't know what to say when I turned this on. I didn't even know what to do. And you brought me to the scripture. And you showed me the things in the scripture even as I talked. Because I know you're trying to speak to somebody today. They're frustrated. They're wondering. They're, they're, they're so empty inside. And no matter what they try, they can't get filled. And they're trying to frustrate. And they're looking around for answers. And the answer is staring them right in the face. And it's you. But it's not filling them with stuff. It's just filling them with you. Because you're the only source of wholeness. You're the only source of peace. You're the only source of joy. You're the only source of happiness. You're the only source that brings true life and life more abundantly. So Father, today I speak that you would turn your light on our hearts, reveal to us our own motives, reveal to us the dark, ugly, nasty places in us. God, there's things about me that you're revealing to me that I don't like I don't like that they're in there, but Lord, thank you that you're showing me these things because even though I may not like them, I don't want them to stay in there. And some of them are rooted so deep in me. They're rooted in me so deep. But Lord, I'm praying that you would pull every single root out of us that doesn't belong. I pray today, Lord, that every person that has listened to this or that will listen to this won't hear the words of Joel, but they'll hear your words calling out to them words of hunger and passion and love and conviction that you're reaching for us because you want to pull us into a place of intimacy. You want to show us who you are and that we would seek you not for what you do, but for who you are. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, right now, you would manifest your presence to everyone that is watching right now, that you would manifest your love, that you would manifest who you are. You would show us who you are in a fresh and new way. In Jesus' name, for those of us that don't know you, that you would show us a you who you are in revelation but for those of you for us that have walked with you maybe our walk with you has become stale maybe it's become mundane maybe it's become robotic i pray god that you would shake us out of our slumber today that you would shake us out of our monotony and that you would let us go back to the first love take us back to the first love and that is simply you 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 today in the name of the lord jesus christ i pray bind every spirit of religious tradition. I bind every lie of the adversary. I bind every, every, every lie of this world. I bind the blindness that is warring against our minds that is trying to keep us blinded to the reality and the revelation of who you are. I bind the lies of this world. I bind the, the false ideas that this world sells us that we can have all this out and all of this and not have to go through you because you are the only source of all of this, Lord. But we're so deceived from it because we're blind because the, the world and the, 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 the spirit of this world, the God of this world has blinded our eyes. But Father, I speak now in the name of Jesus that the scales would be lifted off our eyes right now in the name of Jesus that we could see remove the scales off our eyes today Father for those of us that are truly hungry but we can't see because we're blind I pray in the name of Jesus that the scales would be lifted that we could see clearly and know clearly today the power of the message of who you are I curse and rebuke every every lie of the adversary that is keeping those that are hungry from seeing the truth. I bind every source of shame, every lie of shame, every voice of shame, every voice of accusation, every voice of condemnation. And I speak life and truth and hope and the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the saving grace of his blood and love in us while we were yet sinners you still died for us i pray father today that our eyes would be open to the power the revelation of who you are today in the name of jesus let it be done lord let your kingdom come let your kingdom be made manifest in us and through us today in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name